This Day in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History Class, a show that honors the dead by sharing their stories with the living. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today we're examining a deadly example of religious intolerance from the Middle Ages. As you might expect, today's episode deals with some heavy themes, including anti-Semitism, mob violence, and suicide. If that sounds like too much to handle, maybe sit this episode out, or circle back to it later when you feel better prepared. The day was March 16th, 1190. The entire Jewish community of York was attacked by a mob while taking refuge in the city's royal castle. The resulting massacre was the conclusion of a series of anti-Semitic riots that had spread across the country following the coronation of Richard I in the fall of 1189. But the truth is that the animosity toward Jewish citizens had been brewing for a long time in England. More than a century earlier, the Duke of Normandy, William the Conqueror, had invaded England and claimed its throne. He quickly opened the doors of his new kingdom and invited Jewish communities from France to come and live and work in England. And many did, eventually settling in every major city in the country. Over the next hundred years, a number of factors gradually turned many Christian citizens against their Jewish neighbors. Differing views of theology led to public disagreements between members of the two faiths. For instance, take the practice of money lending. Christians weren't allowed to profit as moneylenders, but there was no such religious restriction for Jewish people. At first, the arrangement seemed mutually beneficial. Christian borrowers could further extend their line of credit, and Jewish moneylenders could make a living. However, the more successful the moneylenders were, the more resentful and hostile the borrowers became. Adding to this division, multiple ugly rumors began to spread in the mid-12th century. These slanderous stories, an example of blood libel, accused Jewish residents of killing Christian children in order to use their blood in religious ceremonies. Another contributing factor to the rise in anti-Semitism in England was the launch of the Third Crusade, following the death of Henry II in 1189. King Henry had taken a somewhat mercenary approach to the Jewish population, offering them a degree of legal protection as feudal vassals in exchange for being heavily taxed by the crown. However, once Henry died and the throne passed to his son, Richard the Lionheart, it wasn't clear if that deal would still stand. Before the year was out, King Richard added to that sense of uncertainty by calling for a new crusade, the latest in a series of Christian efforts to reconquer the Holy Land. Excitement over the king's crusade spread throughout the country, and as a result, many Christians became increasingly troubled by the presence of non-Christians in their homeland. The growing hostility came to a head that September, when several Jewish citizens tried to attend Richard's coronation in London to pay their respects to England's new king. Among them was a man named Benedict, a prominent moneylender from York, and his companion, Jos, the leader of York's Jewish community. 
The two Jewish men were refused entry, along with several others, and when the rest of the Christian crowd realized what was going on, the dispute quickly turned into a riot. Benedict was wounded in the scuffle, and later died from his injuries on the journey back home. In the months that followed, more rumors began to spread, this time claiming that King Richard himself had ordered the expulsion of Jewish citizens from England. Emboldened by that lie, mobs of Christian zealots began attacking and looting Jewish communities in towns such as Norwich, Stamford, and Lincoln. With the Easter holiday fast approaching, the violence finally made its way to York in mid-March. The city's sheriff had already left for the Third Crusade, leaving Jewish residents even more vulnerable to attack. A group of York noblemen seized that opportunity, viewing it as a chance to wipe out the considerable debts they owed to Jewish moneylenders. They raised a mob and broke into the home of Benedict's widow and children. They looted everything of value and then set the house ablaze, killing everyone inside. A similar attack was made on the home of Jos, but he was able to escape and warn the rest of the Jewish residents. As the looting continued, he led them to seek shelter inside the city castle's tower, where they would, in theory, be protected by the king's royal constable. That arrangement held for a while, but when the king's tower keeper left on other business, the Jewish residents began to worry that their protector might be selling them out. Deciding to take no chances, they barricaded themselves inside the wooden keep and refused to let the constable back inside. The situation escalated quickly from there. The tower keeper was furious. He demanded that the castle be taken back by force. The angry mob then surrounded the castle and tried to do just that, but they were kept at bay by the Jewish families inside the tower, who pelted the invaders with stones. The sheriff's troops were eventually called to the scene to put an end to the chaos, but the best they could manage was a tense standoff that ended up lasting three days. During that time, the mob made an offer to the families inside the tower. They were promised that no harm would come to them so long as they came outside, renounced their faith, and agreed to be baptized. No matter your own faith or your lack of one, imagine being placed in that position to know that the only way to save your life is to lie about what you hold most sacred and to know that even if you do surrender that part of you, your attackers may just kill you anyway. After all, the House of Benedict was still smoldering in the distance. The mob had already murdered one Jewish family. Would you be able to trust their word that the killing would stop there? On Friday, March 16th, those inside the tower made their decision. Their supply of food and water was all but gone, and they knew they wouldn't be able to hold out for much longer. One option was to leave the tower, refuse to be baptized, and be killed on the spot by the mob. Another option was to accept the baptismal and potentially live, but always in shame, not your true self, a kind of living death. The third option was the one that most of the community chose, to take their own lives rather than to have their lives taken from them. The last people left alive were Jos and Rabbi Yom Tov, 
Just before their own deaths, they started a fire in the wooden tower so that the group's corpses couldn't be desecrated by the mob outside. The exact number of people inside the tower is unknown, but estimates range from 20 to 40 families, and a later account put the total at around 150 men, women, and children. Once the fire started, some Jewish residents reportedly took the mob's deal, agreeing to convert in exchange for safe passage. However, as many had suspected, that Christian mercy was ultimately denied, and they were killed as soon as they stepped out of the burning castle. With virtually every Jewish person in the city now dead, the mob's ringleaders marched the crowd to York Minster, a grand cathedral where the debt records were stored. They knew that any money they owed to their victims would now be owed to the king instead, but only if he found out what was owed to him. To keep that from happening, the rioters stormed the minster and burned every last record. Richard I was outraged when he heard of the events at York. He said it was an affront to his dignity and to his authority as king. He ordered that a royal inquest be concluded. This later resulted in the city's constable and sheriff being dismissed. A heavy fine was also imposed on most of the leading families of York, many of whom had ties to the mob's instigators or else had taken part in the massacre themselves. However, it's important to note that no one was ever put on trial or punished for the murders of roughly 150 people. It wasn't long before a new Jewish community was established in York although they only got to stay there for less than a century. In 1290, King Edward I would expel all Jewish people from England, an action that wouldn't be overturned until more than 350 years later. A new stone building was later constructed on the same site as the original, and in 1978, a plaque commemorating the tragedy was finally installed at the foot of the tower. Today, Daffodils are planted around the base of what's now Clifford's Tower. They're put there each March, around the anniversary of the massacre. The flower's six petals evoke the six points of the Star of David, a peaceful tribute to a faith that would not be broken. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. <laughs>